1: The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem.
0: I speak tonight for
1: the dignity of man.
0: And it's interesting how often that phrase, a typhoon of terror, seems to fit what's going on. As you may know, recently in early October, two suicide bombs killed around 100 people, and injured hundreds more. It was actually a rally for peace in Ankara, the capital of Turkey. Who did it? Why would they do such a thing? And what are the powers at play which are rapidly ramping up war tensions in that already tumultuous region of the world? How do the wars in Syria and Iraq play into all this? What is the role of America's ally, Saudi Arabia? And of course, what about ISIS? And is there a, are there is there really new potential for clashes between the United States and Russia? How much hotter can this already tumultuous region get? Well, I'm very pleased to have with us here today on Keeping Democracy Alive to hopefully explain and unravel this tangled Mideast mess. James Carden, contributing writer at The Nation magazine and member of the American Committee for East-West Accord and former advisor to the State Department's Office of Russian Affairs. Thanks very much, James Carden, for being with us and keeping democracy alive.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, bud.
0: Tell us what happened in Turkey's capital, Ankara, on Saturday, October 10th.
1: Well, um in a In a word or two uh it was the um, biggest terrorist attack that has happened on Turkish soil and Turkish history. It's something of a nine eleven moment uh, for Turkey. Um, the targets were as you had mentioned uh, in the intro uh, were uh, a kurdish uh, Turkish trade union peace march, and the perpetrators um, which had not been um, Revealed yet by the government in Turkey are thought to be Sunni uh, extremists who had crossed over uh, the Syrian border back into Turkey to, tar- to target this uh, Kurdish uh, peace rally. Um, and the reason that the Kurds were targeted uh, is very straightforward. Uh, the, the Kurdish fighters in Syria are among the most effective fighters fighting against the Islamic State or ISIS, or ISO, or the IS group, or however you want to um, refer to them. Uh, And this is not the first time that attacks on uh, Kurds and their kind of left-wing Turkish partners uh, have been carried on on Turkish soil. So I hope that explains somewhat what happened and the motives behind it.
0: And, and you mentioned that there's a, a, uh, a labor union involved there. Who are they? Are they something that the government of Turkey supports, or are they opposed to them? I guess they were involved...
1: Well, the, the trade union is associated with the opposition party, the HDP uh, party, which is the main opponent of the uh, Sunni uh, Islamist uh, AK uh, party. So um, the thinking is... That um, the 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 rally, which the government kn- of course knew about, um, was intentionally not was intentionally not properly protected, um, allowing uh, the suicide bombers to go ahead with their with their plan. Uh, the AK party uh, is in a state of uh, panic because in the last round of elections. Um, they uh, they didn't do uh, as well as they had expected. So uh, the AK uh, Party uh, president, and obviously the president of Turkey, um, Erdogan, um, has been busy rounding up members of the opposition party and putting them in jail.
0: And who is, who is this Erdogan? It looks like Erdogan, but it's, I guess, pronounced Erdogan. Is he Sorry. close to the United States? Is, is he one of our considered you know, close allies in that region?
1: Well, I'm sad to say that, uh, yes, that's the case, because Turkey has been a uh, member of NATO since 1952. Uh, Erdogan, uh, therefore, is a treaty ally uh, with the United States. And um, it's sort of ironic that, um, at least according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, uh, Turkey is the world's leading nation of locking up uh, journalists, and uh, without due process, and uh, they also have a habit of locking up opposition politicians. Now, if something similar, hap- when something similar happened in Russia, we hear a lot about it in the United States.
0: Yeah.
1: When things like this happen in Turkey, and, it, and they happen a lot more often in Turkey, you hear very, very little about it.
0: Interesting. And I'm old enough to remember that amazing movie, uh, Midnight Express, which certainly was a black eye for Turkey. They were you know, portrayed as a pretty awful government. And I, I, I certainly had the impression that they had pro- improved significantly since then. How, how long has uh, Erdogan been in power and had the uh, rubber stamp support of the United States?
1: Well, Erdogan has been um, in power in one form or another uh, as prime minister um, and then as um, as president for some time. He was the prime minister of Turkey from 2003 to 2014, and then he took over uh, the presidency uh, to, uh, in 2014. Uh, before that, he was the mayor of uh, Istanbul. Um, so um he has the longer he's been in power uh the more of his sort of autocratic um, makeup has sort of come to the fore and so mm. um, recently there was a report that a journalist had the temerity to, to tweet something negative about him um, and now this this person is um, under investigation by the government so um, he, he in, in 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 no sense this, this man share um, any of our so-called, quote-unquote, Western values that we are mm-hmm. so busy exporting sure. um, through all parts of the uh
0: World. <laughs> oh, and doing such a successful job at exporting. Indeed. <laughs> well, so so this rally—it was a, a, a protest rally. You, you mentioned it was organized by a, a, a labor union. What were, what were they protesting? Did it have to do with uh, uh, Kurdish uh, issues, with ice, the war on ISIS, or
1: yeah? What yeah. was it about? I'm not sure. The protest rally is the right way to look at it. I think it's a. It was more of a peace rally. It was a, It was a rally um in support of the um in support of the kurdish minority um that has uh, suffered so grievously under the um under the uh under the erdogan uh regime so the um the, it was organized mainly by the this party that i mentioned to you earlier the h d p party the uh, kurdish people's democracy
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: party uh and uh, you know the reason why this you know um this rally received inadequate um security protection is is because it is because it was basically a bunch of Kurds. Yep. And the the Turkish government under Erdogan um is a very thinly disguised Islamist regime. Um and, and who have been complicit with the rise of ISIS. Um hmm. and that's if that's any good
0: well that that's that's we'll have to follow up that complicit with Isis that's that's a big deal and they are our friends tell us a bit about the Kurds w- what is their relationship with Turkey and with the Iraqi government it's it gets a little confusing here but I'm hoping you can uh, explain who who these Kurds are and about uh, you know what portion of the population how many there may be in the area what's their relationship with Turkey and the Iraqi government Well
1: the, the the Kurds, the Kurds are spread out among, mainly among the three countries, the three main countries in the region, which is to say uh, northern Syria, Turkey, uh, and uh, northern, northern Iraq. Um, and they have, um, it's very, you're right in that it's confusing because I was trying to get a hold of a Turkish representative here in Washington last week while I was researching my article, and it was very difficult. Uh, to find um someone who speaks on behalf of the region of kurdistan because they're they're segmented uh, between between the between these countries uh... the, the estimated population of uh, of uh... kurdistan which isn't a real country but it, it's a nation right, right. uh... spread out between these three countries that i talked about uh... is around thirty million people wow. um, and wow. and turkey um, has. Um, you know has been on and off fighting the uh pkk which is sort of think of the pkk as sort of the kurds IRA. huh uh-huh. um and they've been they've been uh you know fighting quite um intensely since i think it, since at least nineteen nineteen eighty four uh so there's tremendous tension between the uh the sunni majority in Turkey and the uh and the, and the kurdish uh minority but the the, the trouble that, that that we have is that from a from a US national interest point of view is that the Kurds no matter what um, country they they happen to be affiliated with are fighting ISIS right they, and yes. we we recently dropped 50 tons of ammunition to to our so-called moderate Syrian Syrian uh Syrian rebels and and to the Kurds uh in order to fight ISIS and what was um the Turkish government's reaction uh, to this, their reaction to this, according to an article in today's New York Times, was that Turkish officials, and I'm going to read from the article sure. from the Times, Turkish officials summoned the American ambassador to express concern that the United States was providing new support to Kurdish militias in Syria. Well, those Kurdish militias in Syria are the ones fighting ISIS. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, be, uh, but we're not, we weren't alone in being summoned. Turkey also summoned the Russian ambassador over concerns that Russia, too, was helping the Kurds. Uh, as indeed they are. Uh, the Russians are helping anyone and, and anyone and anyone who um, mm-hmm. is fighting ISIS and who will not overturn Assad. Um, so their strategic um, goal is very straightforward, to prop up Assad. And we have been very straightforward about this. Yeah. Ours is a bit confused. We want to find a small group of people who can both overturn Assad and fight the Islamic State. This has proved to be completely unreasonable and unworkable, uh, which is why the Russians have uh, come in uh, with such force over the past two, two or three weeks now. Mm.
0: And, and what's the Kurds? Uh, obviously, it sounds like the Turkish government doesn't like these guys. But what about the Iraqi government, the one that's currently in power? I mean, it's in a civil war, but the official government now... <sighs>
1: Well, uh, no, I mean, there has, there's been a long history within Iraq of um, the Kurds being a persecuted party going back at least until the 70s, even with U.S. acquiescence. Um, certainly the Kurds suffered grievously um, in the aftermath of the first Gulf War when um, President Bush, the first President Bush, uh, quite wisely decided not to go all the way into Baghdad, but he held out hope uh, to the Kurds. Uh, who were fighting uh, Saddam Hussein? That uh, they might get, you know, U.S. support to um, overture, over to um, over overthrow uh, Hussein, and that uh, help was not forthcoming, and they were slaughtered. Uh, right now, um, they, my understanding, which is imperfect, of the situation in Iraq is that uh, the Kurds have a significant amount of autonomy um, in, uh, in in Iraq.
0: Well, that's that's good. So it it seems like they are kind of a nation so far without an official state but it does seem kind of inevitable that that they, the Kurdish will have some sort of uh state or nation uh you know an actual perhaps country and Turkey doesn't seem to like that. If you just tuned into Keeping Democracy Alive Bert Cohen here we're talking today with James Carden contributing writer at the Nation magazine about uh, what happened with that horrific uh suicide bombing in Ankara, Turkey, on October 10th, and what it really means, trying to unravel uh, what it's about, and um, y- y- when when poison, I mean Syria is is here too. It's it's as you mentioned, complicated. But when poison gas was used in Syria, each side in the fighting, the ones for uh, keeping Assad in power and the ones against keeping Assad in power, each side pointed the finger and blamed the other for the atrocity of the use of poison gas. We, we still don't know the truth. Is there a similar back-and-forth finger-pointing now going on with this, uh, you know, horrible attack on the streets of uh, Ankara for this peaceful rally? What interests had the motive to carry out this bloody attack on unarmed uh, 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 peace protesters? And what were the attackers trying to accomplish?
1: I think that it's pretty straightforward uh, in terms of the attack in Ankara. Um, it, it was a revenge move by ISIS against against the Kurds, uh-huh. um, and even the prime minister's office in Turkey has said that you know um, the evidence points it points to, it points to ISIS. Uh, so I think that's a sort of different. um so it's a, in a way, a revenge motive. The um, so I'm not sure what it. The relation, or uh, the analogy is with the with the poison gas.
0: Well, just finger-pointing it, one pointing at the other yeah. side.
1: Well, that's, the poison gas thing is very interesting, though, because that's when a lot of Americans started to pay attention to what was going on. Right. Um, now, was it a false flag um, carried out by ISIS? Did the Syrian government actually um, um, use poison gas? Who did... Who, you know, obviously, that was a horrific thing that happened. Uh, we saw horrible images of women and children dying um, as a result of uh, poison gas. And it raised, um, as these things do in this country, a sort of outrage. But what I find interesting, and you might find interesting, is that it's always a sort of selective outrage. Because hmm. Saudi Arabia, which purports to be a great friend of the United States, mm-hmm. rather rather often beheads people in broad daylight. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between being killed by gas or being killed by um, by getting your head cut off. Yeah. Well, we seem to reserve our outrage hmm. um, for regimes which are deemed to be unfriendly, and we turn a blind eye to the atrocities that are uh, committed by our our so-called uh, friends in the Middle
0: East. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty disturbing how we just... A- a- and people have gotten so uh, upset at the beheadings by ISIS, but the fact that the our good buddies, the Saudi Arabian government, does it quite regularly, nobody seems to be bothered by that. And, and uh, uh, James Carden, you write that last July, Kurdish-linked activists were targeted by a suicide bomber, and 32... Kurdish-linked activists were killed. I was surprised to read about what you said the president of Turkey did immediately following that attack. Do tell.
1: What Erdogan generally does um, is use any sort of pretext that he can find to fight and battle um, uh, and defeat uh, his perceived enemy the Kurds. So he joined the... um, He joined our coalition against ISIS, right? And then proceeded not to target ISIS positions at all, uh, but rather targeted PKK, which are Kurdish positions uh, in northern Syria. You have to keep in mind that, unfortunately, um, religious affiliation plays a rather large role uh, in the actions of these governments uh in the Middle East. Uh, you have to keep in mind the Erdogan is a, is a Sunni, and I mean, quite a serious one at that. Mm-hmm. Um, ISIS uh, of course are Sunnis, uh and of course the, the most radical kind outside of perhaps Saudi Arabia, uh which which happens to finance them also. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so uh so that's what they did. They they joined the NATO coalition under which provided them cover to bomb Kurdish um, to bomb Kurdish positions uh, in northern Syria. Um, and again, this points to a problem of American selective outrage, doesn't it? Yes. Because when Russia um, began their bombing campaign, within 24, 48, 72 hours, the U.S. media was going crazy over the fact that uh, Russia wasn't targeting ISIS. They were targeting other opponents of the Assad regime, which happened not to be true. They were targeting both. But you heard nearly a word about Erdogan's double-dealing, but we heard an awful lot about Putin's. But Putin's not even double-dealing. He was very straightforward in his interview with Charlie Rose a couple Sundays ago. That what the Russians intend to do are to prop up Assad. And they're there
0: yeah.
1: at the invitation of, of Assad's government, which is the legitimate... We may not like it. We may not like him. He's a brutal, brutal guy.
0: Yeah.
1: But they are there at the invitation Of that legitimate government, our coalition of so called 60 countries, um, which is a phantom coalition, it's sort of like the coalition that, you know, uh, the coalition we're willing that we heard a lot about in 2003, uh, you know, are not there at the invitation of the Syrian government. So our coalition is actually in violation of international law, while Putin's uh, isn't. So again, um, there's this issue of double standard and uh, double-dealing. But I think it's just probably endemic to the region, and I wonder why we feel compelled um, to um, keep getting involved.
0: Ah, fascinating. Well, we have all these toys. I guess we've got to play with them and use them somewhere. And there does seem to be something called oil there. Could have something to do with it. Uh, right. J- James, in your article in The Nation, you write, taken together, these incidents point to Two characteristics which can now be said to define U.S.-Turkish relations: double games and double standards. Please explain.
1: Well, the, the double game part, I, I think you know, we basically we basically just yeah. touched on, right? Yeah. Um, so you have you have Turkey um, pretending that it's a, a NATO member in good standing, just as they are uh, funding and letting. Um, ISIS fighters crossed the border with impunity, right? I mean, as Pepe Escobar, who's a terrific correspondent um, who I traveled to um, Ukraine with some months ago, uh, he said, and I note this in my article, that even, even the desert pebbles, even the desert sand, knows that Turkey's been playing a double game with NATO from the outset. And, and so these fighters, these ISIS fighters, who uh, pose um, an enormous... Uh, threat to the region yeah um, have have received the help of countries that are our purported allies yeah that's uh, so that's the that's the double game
0: and that amazes me I mean Here, you know, in the American uh, mainstream press anyway, ISIS or Daesh, as it's called locally, I understand, (laughs) is not all by itself in the region. Even though they they look to be isolated, we've tried to portray them as isolated, but apparently they have hidden supporters. So talk more, if you would, about the relationship, if any, between Erdogan's government in Turkey, the legitimate NATO, U.S.-recognized government in Turkey, and uh, ISIS or Daesh, T- tell us about this g- confusing and surprising, and frankly troubling relationship between the legitimate government of Turkey and these bad guys.
1: Well, I think again, yeah, it boils. Unfortunately, it boils down to religion. It boils down to sectarianism. Um, and uh, again, ISIS is the most extreme, are the most extreme exponents of the most radical and fanatical form. Of Sunni Islam in the world, perhaps outside of Saudi Arabia's Wahhabi uh, tribe, uh, and uh, Erdogan's uh, government in Turkey are uh, they share that um, that you know those Sunni uh, I wouldn't call them values uh, I don't know what I would call them but yeah. um, mm-hmm. they they have that in common and and so ISIS has been um, targeting uh, Assad and Erdogan is happy. Erdogan and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf state tyrannies are happy to fund ISIS because ISIS wants to overthrow Assad. Why? Assad is innocent. Assad has run up until this point a brutal, yes, but um, a, a multi-secular uh, regime. He yes. himself is not is not assuming he's, assuming he's something called an, an ally. Right.
0: Um,
1: so the... It, again, it boils down to religion. They're targeting um, Assad because he's not one of them, and they want and they want a Sunni foothold um, in the, right in that region. After all, um, uh, Iraq uh, is is now um, tilting uh, towards Shia, um, yeah. Shia uh, Iran, and so that's the kind of geopolitical uh, motivation. Uh, behind it, and I'm sorry to say that uh, it's actually pretty easy to unravel once you know who's Sunni, who's Shia, who's Alawite. No, oh.
0: Yeah, things were a lot uh, clearer and I think more stable back when it was the Ottoman Empire, the entire region. It may not have been so just, but it seems like uh, at least it was at, at peace amongst itself, of course, that uh, fell apart. Well, it, go ahead.
1: Well, that, that's true with what happened in Europe. Um, the worst thing that, that happened in Europe in the, in the aftermath of the First World War was the dismantling of the uh, Habsburg uh, Empire. Right. And the Habsburg Empire led to the dissolution, led to all of these new nation-states, which led to the rise of, of course, um, this radical nationalism, which, which, swept the, which swept the area, and we know what happened. Um, and that's exactly right. The, the dissolution of the Ottoman Empire um, was, the, was the principal cause of all the st- instability that we're seeing in the region. And I think that one of the things that we underestimate as Americans, and certainly American policymakers underestimate, is the value of stability. Yeah. Because without stability, you can't have anything. You can't have rule of law, you don't have peace. Right, you don't have, you can't have a functioning economy. So, you know, we really underestimate the, the, the value of of stability. And I think it's it's morally atrocious to be going into these places like Libya, for example. Right, Libya was ruled by this horrible, horrible guy, Colonel Gaddafi. Right, uh, but it was stable, and we went in in twenty eleven and we overthrew him. And now Libya is a complete disaster. Yeah, and and that that what now that is ostensibly what we're trying to do to Assad.
0: Yeah.
1: Now he may be brutal.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. But he's keeping. He had been keeping things stable. And when you and when you lift the um, when you lift the color off of this cauldron. Things get real messy real fast, but we never really seem to learn our lessons. It's the same thing that happened, happened with Saddam Hussein. Was he a horrible guy? No doubt. No doubt. Was what happened in Iraq um, a good thing after we invaded and overthrew him? No. 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 Again, stability. But no one, no one in this country cares. And that, I shouldn't say in this country, uh, but in it it, our government, no one, no one gives a fig for uh, stability. It's all about democracy promotion and remaking the world uh, in, our, in our own image. And that's turning out to be uh, quite a dangerous uh, way to go about conducting uh, U.S. foreign policy.
0: And I do think, you know, parenthetically, the the overthrow uh, in uh, Libya uh, was the brainchild of uh, one of the candidates for president, uh, Secretary then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And uh, as the campaign goes on, I hope that uh, she might be called on 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 that issue, and th- thinking of, of uh, you know the breakup of the Habsburg Empire and the Ottoman Empire and how it was stable, I find it fascinating that NATO currently NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg complained that quote an attack on Turkey means an attack on NATO unquote. I, I am reminded of 1914 when an attack on Serbia by Austria-Hungary was seen as an attack on its many allied governments. Given the horror that was ensued, now known as, as World War I, um, how concerned should I be?
1: Quite. Because article, if Turkey invokes Article 5. Well, let's just go back for a second and, and get to why we're talking about Article 5 and, attack and why Stoltenberg said, what what he said. Stoltenberg said what he said because Turkey claimed that, that Russia's air force violated Turkish airspace two times. Uh, uh-huh. Turkey also um, had fighter jets lock on um, uh Russian fighter jets as they were bombing positions in Syria. And so Turkey called a NATO meeting and they made all this noise. Stoltenberg said what he said. Um, Erdogan said um you know, an attack on Turkey means an attack uh, on NATO, right. and you have to invoke Article Five, um, which you know um, would would basically start a third world war. I think this points to not only the um, enormously dangerous situation that is unfolding uh, in in Syria right now, but it also points to the problem with NATO expansion, um, because yes, if if we're honest. About it, and many of the populations in, in Europe are honest about it. If we're honest about it, if Russia has, if Russia decides tomorrow to invade uh, the Baltic states, and I, I have, I believe that absolutely they have no plans to do so. Right. Let's just say hypothetically, and one of the Baltic states invoked Article Five. Not one of the governments are going to lift a finger and go uh, to World War Three to protect Estonia. And so the problem with NATO expansion in Article 5 is that the more you expand it, the more you're in danger of it, of, of it being exposed as a paper tiger. Hmm. You see what I mean?
0: Yeah. And it's certainly true that I mean one can understand, possibly disagree, but at least understand the concern that Russia had by the appearance of NATO expansion into Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine is right there. And, you know, they, they have had issues before between, you know, Germany and Russia and, you know, Poland and Ukraine are are, are, are in there. And, uh, well, I w- th- that brings up the question of you know, Putin. You know, he's he's trying to build stability in Syria by what he's doing now. And it, it sounds to me, I mean... I'm not always right in my political predictions, but I do think they're going to bring some stability there and be able to fight ISIS a lot better than our policy has been doing. And then perhaps after some time, you know, the people, once there's stability, the people of Syria might force a change in government. But you got to have the stability to do that. What did, talk about, if you would, the relationship between Erdogan and Putin's Russia. What, what's their history been?
1: Uh, well, it's it's starting to rapidly deteriorate, as we've seen uh, just uh, in the past few days, um, because Russia is not going to let Assad, under any circumstances, fall. There will have to be some sort of um, political tran- transition, um, but Putin is not going to let his client state, uh, which is uh, Assad's here, mm-hmm. um, uh, fall. Erdogan has been working hand in hand with ISIS to force Assad out now for some years, uh, so there's an obvious tension. There is uh, also uh, obviously then a uh, historic tension between the two countries going back to the Crimean War. Um, but um, you, what you said before about um, Russia's concern about the quote unquote appearance uh, of NATO expansion, right. I think is I think is I think is very interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure that there's a link here between um, what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in Syria, but I would note note this, that it was more than just the appearance of NATO expansion into Ukraine. Um, The uh, EU's association agreement has specific security and foreign policy protocols embedded within it, which basically puts it on the road to NATO membership. So when Ukraine signed that, EU agreement. The EU agreement has much to do with preparing a country for NATO membership. And so uh, that obviously uh, is a concern to um, Vladimir Putin. We can can protest all we want. And I've heard this out of the mouths of US policymakers for for many years. The NATO is purely a defensive alliance, and therefore he shouldn't worry because it's just a defensive alliance. (laughs) But you could not possibly (laughs) believe that. Right. Given what NATO has been up to over the past few years, <laughs> and he doesn't. He's not a fool.
0: No no he's not a fool and that that whole line purely defensive how often have we heard that in defensive very aggressive uh you know moves by uh you know different uh bad guys it's it's amazing how you know they just say oh it's it's just defensive and as russia's been right there on the front line they've lost millions of people very in various wars it's it's a messy situation we're trying to uh, bring some clarity to it here on Keeping Democracy Alive. Bert Cohen here. Our guest today is James Carden, contributing writer at The Nation magazine and member of the American Committee for East-West Accord and former advisor to the State Department's Office of Russian Affairs. Now, so the U.S. considers Erdogan's Turkey to be an ally, an important ally, and... We are at least talking in the press that ISIS is some really bad guys. Are we pressuring that government, Erdogan's Turkey, to stop financing ISIS or to cut their access to oil? And oil, of course, I mean, if once ISIS gets oil, they get money, which finances them. What kind of pressure, do we know what kind of pressure the U.S. is putting on Turkey to, to, to stop financing ISIS and to cut their access to oil?
1: Well, it's a very good question. I have not heard a thing about that. I can tell you, I can tell you this: we have been um, we've been carrying out operations uh, sensibly against ISIS for some time, yeah. uh, and yet uh, the oil pipelines running from ISIS controlled territory into Jordan and into Turkey uh, have been left untouched until two weeks ago, when the Russians came in and bombed them. Uh, the principal funding for, um, ISIS comes from, uh, from oil, from the oil fields that they've captured in the, sure. in in Syria and, and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a curious thing, um, why that, why those pipelines weren't at the top of the target list for, um, uh, for, for the United States. Russia bombed them right away. Um, what kind of pressure are we putting on Erdogan? Beats me. It doesn't <laughs> seem like very much. I mean, they have a, they have a 550 mile border with with Syria. Um, the ISIS fighters cross with impunity back and forth. Uh, they've been financing them uh, through oil oil purchases. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I'd like to think that we've been putting pressure on Turkey um, to to fight ISIS rather than to fight uh, the Kurds who are fighting ISIS. But I just don't know. and and and, and it's. Our foreign policy has been so confused yeah. and so contradictory since the end of the Cold War uh, that you, it, I'm simply unable to tell. I, I don't
0: know. Well, it is fascinating. I mean, we, we saw some pictures of Kurdish fighters ready to go from uh, Turkey into Syria, and the government of Turkey, I believe, was holding them up and not letting them go, them go in and help us fight ISIS and yet here is our friend the Turkish government you know what the heck is going on are they so is our support for Turkey supporting ISIS it's incredible to think that that could be the case and
1: i'm not, I'm not sure that it's so incredible because we are certainly we certainly have warm relations with Saudi Arabia and uh, Saudi Arabia um, let's let's call it state a state a spade. Saudi Arabia is responsible for what happened on 9-11. And um, the Saudis were, um, were ushered out of the country. Uh, the yes. 28 pages of the 9-11 report are under wraps. Uh, we've been, we been shielding them um, from... Um, we've been shielding the American public from um, pointing out Saudi Arabia's complicity, if not outright, um, responsibility Uh, for 9-11, and we've been doing this for years. So it wouldn't surprise me in the least that we're doing something similar with Erdogan. What Mm -hmm. is puzzling to me, though, is that in the intervening years the United States, I guess particularly in North Dakota, has become, quote-unquote, an energy superpower, right? Um, So apparently, from what I'm no energy expert, but we ought to be, um, or are, self-sufficient. So why... Why this hasn't changed the geopolitical calculus uh, again is a bit is a bit puzzling.
0: And and Saudi Arabia, they're they're not real you know nice guys in government. They they as as we know, they regularly you know behead people and they re- this very repressive. It, it it amazes me why why they're such good friends and and I don't know what their motivation would be in attacking uh, Lower Manhattan on nine eleven. Maybe maybe you might have a guess there. Actually, I don't. I don't want to get too far off stream. But why would what would the Saudi Arabian government's motivation be for uh, involvement in September 11th?
1: You know, it's a good question. Um, it could boil down to religion. It could boil down to the the, the religion question again. Uh, we're seen as sort of the um, you know capital of the of the infidels and. Um, um, I don't know. You know, it, yeah. it, it, I think that,
0: but it does seem I clear. A
1: lot of, I think a lot of it. Not to get too far off script, right? Uh, and this is a topic I hate talking about, but um, we have been, um, let's just say, um, fairly supportive of Israel over the past uh, 40 years since they began the occupation. It could have something to do. Uh, it could have something to do with that
0: as well. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it could well be. Well, you write that Erdogan, or Erdogan, I should say, unlike Putin, this this is a little bit confusing, Erdogan, unlike Putin, is acting as defender of the radical Islamist forces that attacked lower Manhattan on 9-11, while Russia, our political establishment, uh, which our political establishment insists as seeing as enemy number one, is fighting them. Uh, it's worth repeating, Erdogan, unlike Putin, is acting as defender of the radical Islamist forces that attacked lower Manhattan on 9-11, while Russia, which our political establishment insists on seeing as enemy number one, is fighting them. This, to me, it, it, it's so bizarre. Can you perhaps help uh, uh, unravel that uh, crazy picture?
1: What, of Erdogan's
0: support for, for ISIS? Yeah, and, and, and for... Well, not... I. I suppose ISIS, but the actual forces that may have uh, attacked the U.S. Uh, uh, on uh, September 11th. You know, they, they, they're, they're our friends, and yet they attacked us? It's just, it's so absolutely bizarre.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I—I I mean, there are...
0: Um, I mean, why should Russia it, be our, our, our number one enemy now? It just doesn't seem to make well,
1: sense. That makes that makes you know little to no sense. Um, uh, we have a lot of interest in 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 the in the region in, yeah. in, in the in, in um, instability in in, in in Eastern Europe. Yeah. But they happen not to run through Kiev. They happen to run through Russia. Russia has been a uh, very good partner uh, to us until up until recently. Putin was the first person to call George W. Bush after nine eleven happened to offer support. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Russia w- was um, key uh, in helping us um, supply troops and uh, and material to Afghanistan through the northern distribution network, which runs over their territory. Um, and I think that Putin has gotten his backup because we've never really reciprocated, and when we do reciprocate, it's by doing things like pulling out of the anti-ballistic um, missile treaty. So, meanwhile, Putin calls. Bush offers help, Um, and on the other hand, Saudi Arabia, which is supposed to be our friend, um, has—and this is according to um, a—this is according to court papers filed by the 9/11 families United for Justice. Um, The uh, Saudi Arabian Kingdom has supplied nearly 35 million dollars a year to Al Qaeda for more than a decade, leading up to September 11. Um, So. Wow. I don't know. It it, it has to do—our friendship with Saudi Arabia up until recently had, I think, solely to do uh, uh, with oil. But now that we have our own oil, I have absolutely no idea um, why uh, we would have anything to do uh, uh, with them.
0: And so, again, just to to try to keep some clarity, Saudi Arabia— and other wealthy states, Oman, Qatar, places like that. Where do they fit in with the uh, uh, Turks, uh, Turkish government, and and the Kurds? I guess uh, who who would they be supporting, and what's their interest in uh, in in the uh, you know the battle between that that in, erupted in so much blood on the streets of uh, Ankara?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that the the um, Gulf states have um, the Gulf states probably don't have much to do with. Um, with being pro anti that's a problem, or, or an issue. I shouldn't say a problem, but that's an issue for the the states north north of the Gulf. Um, but you know, um, when it comes to supporting ISIS, Turkey and the Gulf states are in the same um, are um, ha- share, share a common position, which is which is that they su- they support ISIS because they they share this radical. Uh, Sunni vision of uh, this sort of dystopian uh, religious vision of the world, and so they are all very happy to support ISIS because ISIS is going to throw um, uh, Assad. Um, the problem the Kurds kind of threw a monkey wrench into the plan because um, <laughs> but they have no uh, they have no interest in, in in living under ISIS, and so they're fighting them.
0: And yet, here the United States is is best of buddies with these uh, uh, Gulf states, the, the wealthy Gulf states, which, as you say, are kind of helping ISIS. It's it's just amazing. who is helping the Kurds? Is are, are there any? Uh, are they just all by themselves in this thing? I mean, here they are well. dedicated to taking on ISIS. Who who is helping the Kurds?
1: Well, we claim to be helping them a little bit. I think, uh, from what I understand, the fifty tons of ammunition that we dropped to the moderates—some of that also went. Some of that also went to the uh, uh, to the Kurds. I fear that fifty tons of ammunition um, isn't going to do the trick. I mean, if you look at uh, the amount of um, uh, tonnage that we expended over into China mm-hmm. in the early seventies. Um, fifty tons isn't going to do it. Um, I mean, we, it, it, in the in the in the nine years um, from sixty four to seventy three, we dropped a total of something on the order of um, seven point five million tons of ordnance over um, over our perceived Asia. enemies in Southeast Asia, and uh, that didn't do the trick. So I can't imagine that uh, a mere fifty tons is going to is going to do it. I think what what needs to happen is that um, we need to get out of the way and and let Russia um, prop up Assad, defeat right. ISIS, and then they need to get because Syria is a multi sectarian state. They need to get to the bargaining table, probably in Geneva, and figure out a way to give um, a certain amount of autonomy uh, to, the um, to the different to the different sects. In that, uh, in that country. Uh, and that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. But before you get to do something like that, again, we'll, we'll circle back to what we were talking about before. In, in order to, to to get to the bargaining table in Geneva, let's say, there has to be stability. Yes. And, and you're not going to have stability as long as ISIS is on the, is on the rampage. And you're not going to have stability as long as we, as long as Russia and the United States are working at cross-purposes, and that's exactly what we're doing, we're, we're working at cross-purposes, we should, we should let the Russians try, I and mean, we should get out. We've done, we've done enough damage in their region. Uh, they, they, have a, they, have a, they have an extremely competent military, despite what, what, what we hear in the American press. Yeah. It's possible. It's possible that, that, the, that they'll be able to pull it off. Um, I expect. I, I, yeah. I fear if they just rely on air power, they won't be able to do it. But um, the best thing I think that the United States could do at this point is to butt out completely.
0: <laughs> seems unlikely, hey, you know. Doesn't it? Uh, well, as as uh, XTC had a song, "Majors and Generals" always seems so unhappy unless they got a war. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, so Erdogan, the government of Turkey. I can't help but think that he's a little bit afraid of his own people. There've been a lot of crackdowns over the past couple of years on human rights that we've heard sporadically about uh, in Turkey. Uh, so does that put Erdogan? And he must be afraid of what might be coming down the road, and that's why he's so cracking down on the Kurds. What What do you think? I mean. I, I'm with you. I I see some stability for the Syria region and for you know defeating ISIS. Let's hope. Uh, but w- where does that leave Turkey in the near term future?
1: Well, um, here's here's what happened. I mean, in June uh, there were Turkish uh, Turkish um, elections and um, um, basically this HDP party, which I which I mentioned before. Uh, was able to um, gain a big enough foothold um, within the parliament to end the sort of one-party uh, rule that he had been enjoying for quite some time. Um, so I think there's an element of that. I think there's an element of, you know, he called snap elections. is going to be elections in Turkey on uh, November 1st. And I think that um, there's, uh, there's some concern uh, on the part of the AK uh, Islamist party that uh, their support will continue uh, continue to erode, mm. um, but um, it isn't perhaps coincidental that close, nor in October, right? That these bombings happen so close to the election because what usually happens uh-huh. is when terror attacks happen, people rally around the government, they rally around the flag. Um, now, I'm not saying that the AK planted the suicide bombers or anything like that, but I, I would not be surprised if, if they made the atmosphere, the environment in which these bombs went off, uh,
0: possible. Well, yeah, there always has to be an incident, pretty much, uh, and, and people rally around that. No question about it, and and that's that's interesting timing that you point out how quick before the next election that that those uh, bombings happen. And Erdogan has not been real good on human rights in Turkey, from from what I understand. <laughs> Do tell.
1: Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say good. Um, I would say if if uh, the American media loves to make a, um, they have almost a fetish about. Uh, point uh, painting Vladimir Putin as a some sort of neo-Stalonite, neo-Hitler uh type of character, but the fact of the matter is is that Erdogan is a hundred times worse hmm. uh, on on human rights abuses than than Putin ever was and I suspect ever will be.
0: And and I get the sense that Russia, as you've said before Really, you know, to boil it down, they're a lot more motivated than the U.S. to take on ISIS. Why would that—what is their motivation for taking on ISIS as compared yeah. to the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I think—well, I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, the first—the the primary answer is geography. Um, you know, they border the region, we right. know. Yeah. We have we have an enormous—thank God—we have an enormous ocean that separates us from all, the, from all that chaos, all that chaos that we happen to actually cause— um, but yeah, so it, part of it is is geography. Part of it is, and, and Putin pointed this out um, in his uh, in his interview with Charlie Rose and in his in his speech at the UN, is that um, Russia is has an eight, and is a country with between somewhere between fifteen and twenty million Muslims, um, mm. and the Muslims who are located in the North Caucasus, the North Caucasus region. Um, the, this is the area that brought us the. Um, that the brothers in Boston, who um,
0: uh-huh, right, right.
1: Um, when they the did names m- are the names are uh, lost on me at the moment. Um, having a brain, actually
0: no, but 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 they're Islamists from the yeah. Chechnya region. We don't need to say their names. They're so bad.
1: They have their own. They have their own. Uh, you know, problems with with with, with that sort with yes. that sort of Islamist insurgency. So the motive is again. Uh, stability, but um, also there's, you know, they, they, they understand what Assad, uh, in, in a way, is up against.
0: And all this has got to be very confusing for American policymakers, I guess. If, if You know, on one hand, we want to defeat ISIS. On the other hand, we want to protect our, our friends, uh, the, the, the Turkish government, you know, very repressive, kind of bad guy government. And you write, I find this fascinating, you write that, quote, the White House never misses a chance to miss the point. I wonder if you could explain that, please.
1: Um, well, I, I, I like what you said um, before about it must be confusing um, to policymakers. I think a lot of things are confusing to policymakers. Uh, Mark Twain said, um, quote, suppose you are an idiot and suppose you are a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. Right. Um, they are, you know, they are people with again. Twain said the smallest minds and the selfishest souls and the cowardliest hearts. Um, they, they, um, they have absolutely no solutions to any uh, of our foreign policy problems except to unleash American military might. It is the panacea, yeah. um, and so there. I have um, it's very. I spent some time up on Capitol Hill go into these hearings. And I spent a lot of time covering the Iran deal you know, uh hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were Senate hearings. These weren't even House hearings. The Senators were supposed to be smarter allegedly. Uh what I saw was was really quite alarming. Um, but um, as George Carlin pointed out, you know, where did these where did these politicians come from? They come from us. They come from the people. And we have we have a um an enormously um, large group of um uneducated and worse, uncurious yeah. uh people uh about the larger world around them. And so perhaps it isn't a surprise that uh the Congress uh the United States reflects the people who who elect them
0: yeah so it seems to be the case and and uh as I don't know where this quote comes from, maybe me actually uh one thing I've learned from history is that we never learn from history, and there it is all out for us, and there's a lot we could learn so just to see if I get this straight this this ball of confusion here, we are supporting the Erdogan government, which is uh kind of supporting ISIS. We are supporting uh, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, which are, again, kind of supporting ISIS. We are allegedly fighting ISIS. We are fighting uh, uh, against the uh, legitimate government of of Syria, the Assad government. And, of course, there's no real government in Iraq. That's just a total mess there. Uh, It just, it's amazing to me how we just don't, what can there be I guess I can see, the positive outcome I can see from this, see if, if you share this uh, assessment, is that stability can be brought through Putin, that, that he, it's a good thing that they're doing what they're doing. I know this seems crazy because we're supposedly enemies with them. D- does my assessment, d- did I get it, James Carter?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> you did. I agree with your assessment. I just hope that, I hope that the Russians are able to pull it off. Um, and I wonder... Um, because we have been so spectacularly unsuccessful in the region uh, over the past um, decade and more um, and uh, we seem to be determined to not allow Russia to carry out its plans um, to, um, to save the Assad regime so I, um, I think that the best hope for the region is for us to step back, allow Russia to destroy ISIS, prop up Assad, and then begin negotiations. Um, But you can't, again, circling back, I I know I I probably repeated myself a few times in our conversation, but I can't stress this enough. We can't do anything without stability. And what the Russians are trying to do is bring stability to the region. We may not like that. We may not like them. We may not like Vladimir Putin. But that's what they're trying to do, and I don't think that that's something that we should be in the business of stopping.
0: Yeah, that sounds like the least worst. And if people are interested in following uh, your work, you write for uh, The Nation magazine and also the uh, American Committee for East-West Accord. There's probably a website for that.
1: There, there, there is. It's, it's eastwestaccord.com, um, and we post... Um, news and analysis uh, on a daily basis, and you can sign up for a uh, sort of daily um, news brief uh, that gets sent out via email. Um, uh, And yes, I write uh, exclusively now uh, for the nation, uh, nation nation.com.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much for helping to clarify this big, big mess. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: And thanks to you doing what you can to keep democracy alive.
1: in. Why? Because of the color of the skin. Run, 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 run but you shocking. sure can't hide. And I boy and I are two for a tooth, both for me and i will set you free. rap on brother, rap on
0: Well, the only person talking about love, and brother, is the preacher, And he sings But the teacher. teacher Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, diminishing, obligation to my nation